Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknett. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Howdy, folks. So those of you who are in our Facebook group or who've listened to this podcast or who've read the 11 Drug-Free Strategies article on the website have heard about the starve and sink uh, approach to ending a migraine. That was something I initially uh, covered in the 11 Drug-Free Strategies for Ending a Migraine article, uh, which you can find at mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash drug-free. And one of the places you may have heard about the Starve and Sink is in some of the success story podcasts that we've shared where many of our uh, guests have cited the Starve and Sink as an essential piece in their journey to migraine freedom, particularly uh, when it came to breaking rebound headaches. And we get a lot of questions about it in our group, and it's a frequent topic of discussion in our uh, weekly group coaching sessions in Migraine Neverland. And I've been uh, promising to do an episode about it for a while to answer some of those questions. So here's that episode. Um, So before I get to the meat of it, uh, there are a few little housekeeping things to attend to. We're currently in the midst of a jumpstart challenge in Migra Neverland, which launched earlier this week. And we just concluded our first ever Breaking Rebound Challenge. There's still time to uh, jump on board to the jumpstart, pun obviously intended, but the sooner the better. Uh, the jumpstart is our 30-day challenge that's intended to get you off and running with a full head of steam on the plan. And you're aided in that process by a community of supporters in our private Facebook group for the jumpstart who are all doing the same thing. We've had a really great influx of new members uh, leading up to this challenge uh, who've added a nice jolt of positivity and support in the group, so that's been great. Um, It can also function as a nice reset or a boost uh, in your journey, so we've had multiple people who've participated in several Jumpstart challenges now or who take part in each one that we do, and that's really great as well. One of the many benefits of Migrant Everland is the chance to participate in as many of these challenges as you'd like. So if you'd like to join us or learn more or become part of our Migraine Neverland family, head over to mymigrainemiracle.com and just click on the resources tab where it says how we can help uh, on the top menu. And you can also see the full schedule of challenges for the year for Migraine Neverland members by going to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash schedule. Lastly, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, it'd be awesome if you left a rating in iTunes. Uh, It really means a lot to me. It really helps other people to discover it. And remember that if you screenshot your review and email it to me at drt at mymigraineemiracle.com, you'll be entered into a drawing to receive a Beast Slayer shirt and a signed copy of the book, The Migraine Miracle. And if you leave a written review in iTunes, I will also read it here on the podcast. So speaking of, here is a recent review that was left on February the 14th. Uh, by ND21. I don't know uh, ND21's actual name, but it says, What a Breath of Fresh Air. Thank you, Dr. T, is the title. And um, it reads, I have been suffering from vestibular migraines since a concussion June 2018. I have been unable to work more than a few hours per week since due to dizziness and nausea, which apparently is my migraine equivalent because all of my symptoms briefly vanish with Imitrex. I recently left a migraine support group on Facebook because I found that the negativity was not serving me. 
I happened to stumble upon Dr. T's podcast and have been listening avidly for a few weeks. He shares such a wealth of knowledge in the area. And, in contrast to other healthcare professionals and support groups, he presents with such positivity and a sense of hope. I am a nurse practitioner and a yoga teacher and appreciate his blend of scientific knowledge along with focus on mindfulness and positive mindset. Professionally, we share many thoughts on the somewhat ineffective healthcare system that I am still a part of. He also has great illustrative analogies which really make you think. I have felt the best I have in seven months. Today, I had no symptoms at work. I may even be able to increase my hours if this continues. Thank you, Dr. T, for sharing your knowledge, hope, and positivity. Everyone, impacted by migraine or not, should tap into this wonderful health resource. So thanks so much for leaving that wonderful review. Those sorts of things really make my day. And I really appreciate that you recognize and highlighted that we've really tried hard to provide an alternative to so much of the negativity that's out there in the migraine communities, especially online. Besides the fact that many of us just don't want to be surrounded by that, but also because, as I've discussed before, that directly undermines our ability to make progress, that mindset is so critical. So even a well-intentioned support group, if there's a lot of negativity, can ironically make migraines worse over time. And note, too, the mention of vestibular migraines in that review. So we get a lot of questions about whether the plan works for all these different variants of migraine, including vestibular migraine. And I covered this in a prior episode, but the take-home message is migraines are migraines. And what people experience during a migraine, uh, as far as the symptoms and the specific character of their migraines, just has to do with the part of the brain the migraine has spread to. And that these different labels that have arisen uh, are really there to just help us in talking about uh, migraines and making sure that doctors recognize the different ways that they can present and perhaps most importantly for billing purposes. So uh, people who are in insurance companies uh, happen to like when we get really specific about the kind of uh, diagnosis we have even if that specificity has no real clinical use. So years ago, uh, after coming to the tragic realization that the abortive medications for, medic for migraines, so the ones that we take for migraine relief, that those were making migraines worse over the long term, I knew that for migraine freedom to be sustainable for myself and for others, that I had to have some reliable drug-free strategies for ending uh, a migraine. I decided years ago to never take another tryptan, and so I wanted to identify some alternatives. And I also wanted to compile a resource for others who were looking to do the same thing. So as you probably know, if you go on the internet, internet, you'll find no end to the number of remedies that people will claim as helping for migraines. And of course, we all know the dangers of Googling for health information. So the goal here was to identify the most reliable and universal methods. So if, someone only, if something only works for one in a million people, it's not an especially valuable thing to tell others about. But if it works for the majority of people, on the, on the other hand, then it really is. So I compiled in that article a list of the most commonly cited remedies uh, based on my uh, own clinical experience and surveys conducted with our audience. And a few years ago, I began experimenting personally with all of those methods. And it's super important to remember here that the whole point of finding and using drug-free strategies is not so that 
will suffer more. It's not some kind of heroic principled act against pharmaceuticals. Um, the whole point is because it leads to less suffering. Uh, so just listen to any of our success stories and you're, you'll hear how much less people are suffering after finding a pill-free path to freedom. So getting the pills out leads to tons less suffering. That's the most important point here to remember. So if the drugs reduce suffering on the long term, then they'd be the obvious solution. But the problem is that's not been the case for so, so many people. In fact, just the opposite. So often the, the drugs have turned migraines into a chronic, unrelenting problem and greatly increased rather than reduced their long-term suffering. So, like I said, I began exploring all of these different uh, methods for, for drug-free uh, ends to a migraine, and uh, you might be wondering how I did that. So, I'm able to reliably provoke a migraine in myself. Uh, I may have talked about this before, but all I have to do is just have a little bit of alcohol close to bedtime, and it's pretty much guaranteed that I'll wake up with one. So incidentally, if you like to indulge in the occasional alcoholic beverage, um, that's one really important rule to observe. Uh, I did do a whole podcast in the past on ways to minimize the chances of a migraine from alcohol. So you can if look for that prior episode if you're interested uh, in those tips. Um, but at any rate, that was how these experiments began. And I know it might seem like a crazy thing to do, but again, the point was to try to give myself the peace of mind in knowing that no matter what, I never ever have to turn to an abortive drug ever again and never ever end up in the horrific situation uh, of the rebound headache of death. And I know how little it takes to get there, so I wanted to eliminate that possibility from my future and hopefully from many, many other people's futures. So, of all the strategies that I've tried, again, they're all outlined in that article, and that's going to be linked in the show notes as well. But of all the strategies, by far the most effective was what I now refer to as the starve and sink. And the starve part of this simply means starving the beast or starving the migraine of any energy. And so how do you do that? Simply by not eating. So the migraine process, just like every other physiological process in the body, it requires energy to sustain itself. Now, both migraines and seizures are sometimes thought of as conditions of hyperexcitability in certain parts of the brain. So it refers to the fact that certain brain networks are excited or activated too easily uh, in those who suffer from those conditions. And furthermore, that states of energy excess in the body seem to tip the scales towards hyperexcitability, and to, to, which means tip the scales towards provoking a seizure or provoking a migraine. And every time we eat, we promote an energy excess in the body. So as we digest and metabolize our food, we either use or store that energy until ultimately energy equilibrium is restored after, uh, after that's been processed after a meal. And of course, one of the major problems of modern diets that are so high in refined and processed carbohydrates is that they are energy rich, so lots of energy, but nutrient poor. And furthermore, because of the metabolic state that kind of diet promotes from high carbohydrates, it causes us to stay hungrier much more of the time. So eating a high carb standard diet not only leads to the overconsumption of energy with each meal, it also leads us to eat more often. So the net result being we spend a lot of our time in a state of energy excess on the standard uh, Western diet. And I think this is one helpful way to think about why returning to a low to moderate carbohydrate ancestral diet, uh, which is the profile of the Migraine Miracle Plan, which consists only of real food, is such a helpful weapon against the beast because it drastically reduces the amount of time that's spent in that state of energy excess. 
So migraines are not only often triggered by energy excess with alcohol and sugar being classic uh, examples of empty energy sources, but they also require energy to sustain themselves. And as I said, after each meal is processed by the body, ultimately energy equilibrium is restored. So that means that in the fasted say, state, the body is in that energy equilibrium. So we've totally taken that problem of energy excess out of the equation. Unless, of course, we eat again. So the starve part of the starve and sink simply refers to starving the migraine of energy. A migraine without food won't last as long as a migraine with food. So fasting is a way of ending a migraine in the shortest time possible. And eating with a migraine is simply a way of prolonging our suffering. Now I know that for some, uh, eating during a migraine, especially when they're at the peak of their nausea, isn't really an option anyway, so it's a moot point. But for most, there are periods of time during a migraine where they may have some appetite, and they may think that eating is the best thing to do during those, point, uh, those periods of time, which I'll talk more about in a sec. But as I said, both migraines and seizures are often viewed as conditions that are provoked by energy excess. And in the old days, guess what the treatment was for kids who had seizures that wouldn't stop? It was fasting, so they'd admit these children to the hospital, the kids would fast, and the seizures would break. And then the next step, oftentimes, was guess what? Put them on a ketogenic diet. Additionally, uh, in the early 20th century, there was lots of interest in the therapeutic benefits of fasting. And that's actually resurfaced lately. So people would undergo days-long fasts for various therapeutic purposes. And guess what? One of the conditions it was also found to be helpful for, the migraines. So author Upton Sinclair, uh, who also wrote the book The Jungle that people are familiar with, published another book that's called The Fasting Cure uh, in 1911, I think. Um, and in that, he touts all the health benefits that he uh, uh, discovered with fasting, including the curing of his chronic headaches. So in the book, he states that prior to his first 12-day fast, he had a daily headache for at least two to three weeks prior. He then reports that it went away after his first day of fasting, never to return for the remainder of his 12-day fast, and that he continued to enjoy a period of headache freedom thereafter. Like I said, this flies in the face of what many people have been led to believe about migraines. And I can't tell you how many times personally over the years I actually forced myself to eat during a migraine, or as soon as I was hungry thought the best thing to do would be to eat something. And this is why the myth that hunger or low blood sugar causes migraines is so destructive, and one reason I spent two episodes uh, previously debunking that whole mythology. And you've heard others on this podcast say exactly the same thing. They look back and cringe thinking of all the time they prolonged their own suffering by thinking that they needed to eat uh, during a migraine. So that's the starve part, which refers to starving the beast of energy or avoiding an energy surplus during uh, a migraine. And then the sink part of the starve and sink refers to actually doing some sort of exercise or physical activity during a migraine. So the metaphor that being that we're creating an energy sink. So with physical activity, we're obviously diverting energy towards the muscles. So if we think about what's happening when we're doing that in a fasted state where we're already in energy equilibrium, we're essentially creating at least a temporary energy deficit. So we're further tipping our energy kinetics away from a state of excess. And this one seems, I think, even more counterintuitive than the fasting part, right? I know that the last thing you feel like doing during a migraine is moving around. 
But as I said, when I was gathering different uh, strategies, drug-free strategies, uh, several people reported success in doing things like going for a run. And so I decided to try that myself during these experiments. And lo and behold, they were right. And I was shocked. I tried this combination multiple times. So once the migraine came on, number one, I didn't eat until it was gone. And then I went for a run as soon as I could. And essentially, I'd go for as long as I was able to. And usually that meant as long as I could, given my time constraints. And this doesn't have to be any kind of heroic effort. In fact, I think it's important here to try to stay in the aerobic range, uh, which you can monitor by checking your heart rate. So the cutoff there is to subtract your age from the number 180. And that would be the heart rate to stay under to make sure you are staying in the uh, aerobic range and not tipping over tipping into uh, anaerobic metabolism. So for example, if you're 40 years old, then you'd want to maintain a heart rate below 140. And I think you'd find that's a pretty doable target. And also, it's a nice way of calibrating your activity level to whatever level of fitness you're in. So for some people, a brisk walk is enough to get into that zone, whereas someone who's very active and exercises a lot may be able to run at a light or moderate pace and stay in the aerobic range. Usually with this, the first few minutes are pretty horrible. You feel, feel worse, but then after that, things start to get better. It's certainly better than sitting around inside and just feeling miserable. And what I would find is that I didn't want to stop uh, running. I would continue to go as long as I could. And that's the most commonly export reported experience that others ha have said with this. And of course, everybody is astonished by that uh, experience because it seems so incredibly counterintuitive. I don't know of anyone who heard about this for the first time and didn't think, that sounds nuts. And then, of course, that turns to disbelief after trying it and experiencing success with it. Now again, the uh, sync part, the physical activity, is not a must. Uh, we certainly have folks who just really employ the, the fasting part of it and have done very well. I just think of the sync as a way of further accelerating things um, if you're able to do it. So again, that's the basics of the starve and sync approach. Now, I, this is going to be uh, part one of an episode about it, so I will be covering some frequently asked questions uh, in a subsequent episode. And uh, also remember, you can learn more about it uh, by uh, clicking on the link in the show notes to the article or by going to mymigrainmiracle.com forward slash drug free. I also wanted to mention that there's one other really important uh, potential benefit to fasting during a migraine. And this one was pointed out by my wife, Jenny, after listening to the recent episode on the connection between gluten and migraines. So in that episode, one thing that I discussed was research showing that during a migraine, there's breakdown in the blood-brain barrier. So the blood-brain barrier is a wall between the systemic circulation and the brain. And it's supposed to be a very solid uh, line of defense because protecting the brain um, from foreign invaders is so important. Yet in certain pain conditions, including migraine, it's been showed that the that, that barrier breaks down. Um, inflammation is a key feature of migraine, which I've discussed before and discussed in the book. And inflammation in the brain in particular is strongly associated with uh, breakdown in the blood-brain barrier. So when that happens, stuff gets into the brain that shouldn't be there. And of course, that's not good. Uh, breakdown in the blood-brain barrier is a known feature of many neurological diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. And of course, in that episode, I talked about how foreign invaders first access the bloodstream, which can be through a leaky gut barrier, which also appears to be more common in those with migraines. 
So if the blood barrier, if the blood-brain barrier is compromised or leaky during a migraine, what would be the best strategy to minimize the impact of that? To keep stuff out of the brain that shouldn't be there, it would of course be to fast. So if we don't put anything into our gut, then we don't introduce things into the bloodstream that could make their way across the blood-brain barrier and into the brain. Again, this is speculative, but it certainly seems like a sensible thing to do, uh, especially considering that fasting is so helpful for a migraine anyways. And it also could be yet another reason why eating prolongs migraines. So because an already sensitive and vulnerable brain is rendered even more vulnerable because of blood-brain barrier breakdown, allowing more bad actors into the, into the brain and provoking more inflammation, leading to worsening pain, worsening breakdown of the blood-brain barrier in this vicious cycle. This could also help to explain why longer fasts, like the ones that uh, Upton Sinclair described, could lead to a longer-term protection against migraines because it could be allowing all that inflammation to dissipate and it could give time for the blood-brain barrier to heal itself and sort of re re rebuild that all-important line of defense that is probably significant in, the, uh, in part of the pathogenesis of migraine headaches and why they occur to begin with. And this could also be precisely why many foods that were once triggers before folks go on the migraine miracle plan, as well as things like certain odors, that the reason that they no longer have the same impact. One of the benefits of an ancestral diet is to reduce inflammation, and since there's inflammation in the brain, that means uh, healing of the blood-brain barrier. Like I've said before, I'd be eating like this even if it didn't have any impact on my migraines. Number one, because it affords me the best chance of a long life well-lived, but also because as a migraineur, for the reasons I discussed in the gluten and migraine episode, I know my brain is more vulnerable than the average person's to foreign invasion. And so eating this way is a great way to, to kind of neutralize that vulnerability. All right, so that's it for this part one episode about the starve and sink. I'll be back again with another installment that'll include, again, some frequently asked questions about it. And again, you can read the 11 drug-free strategies to relieve a migraine article by going to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash drug-free. And that, of course, includes a discussion about the starve and sink. As I said before, the entire reason for exploring these drug-free solutions was because I wanted the peace of mind and knowing that I'd never have to take a triptan again. Even though the Migraine Miracle Plan is the best preventive strategy that I've ever come across, I'm also a realist and I know that sometimes things happen. The central principle of the plan is to minimize the mismatch between our current and our ancestral habitat. And sometimes, for reasons that are largely beyond our control, life can increase that mismatch. So if I have to travel across uh, 12 time zones, for example, that's going to be a huge shock to my circadian alignment and a major challenge for the brain's homeostatic systems to respond and adapt to. So I want to be prepared for those inevitabilities uh, and know that even if the beast strikes, that I have the peace of mind in knowing that he'll leave and will leave in the shortest amount of time possible. And uh, most importantly, that I'll have eliminated any chance of getting into the horrible cycle of rebound that's so easy to get into with the abortive drugs and not easy to get out of. One last thing I'll mention too is that one of the most remarkable things about the starve and sink experiments 
was that the pattern of recovery was so consistent from one migraine to the next. So there was this consistent progression of changes that I could track every time, almost like different phases. And also that the time frame from start to finish was remarkably consistent from one to the next. And that's very different from what I had been used to, where when I was taking medications and sometimes uh, eating during a migraine, that uh, they would vary a lot, or the character and duration uh, would vary a lot from one migraine to the next. And I think what the starve and sink does is just remove all that variability from the equation. And uh, many others have reported the same kind of experience. And you've heard several folks say that on the plan, even if the beast does strike, it's typically less intense. And then with the drug-free strategies like the starve and sink, they also have the peace of mind in knowing that it's going to be temporary. Um, I've talked about one of the issues with the abortive drugs being that uh, not only do they make you more vulnerable to more migraines in the future, but those migraines tend to get more and more intense. And again, this feeling of control over things just changes everything. We now consider the first migraine somebody in our community gets through without a pill as a major milestone. Uh, so many times uh, that's been a sign of great things to come, mainly I think because it's such a significant shift in, mind, in mindset. One of the worst things about suffering with, mi with migraines is this feeling of loss of control that the beast runs your life. And this changes that feeling entirely. People talk about how empowering that first experience is and how it fundamentally alters their relationship with migraines after that point. All right, so once again, it's March 9th as I'm recording this, and we're towards the end of our first week of the Jumpstart Challenge. There's still time to get on board if you're interested. And we also have many more great challenges planned for the year. So you can take a look at all those by going to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash schedule. So thanks so much for listening, and now it's time to go out and slay the beast. Mm -hmm.